Hey Coleraine, welcome to a new season of the Coleraine Township Podcast. My name is Helen and I'm the Communications Specialist for the Township and I'm also your host. In the past, we've focused on highlighting new members of our community and pulling back the curtain on people and groups that make living and working in this community what it is today. This season, we're going to take a look at where we've come from and how it's helped shape Coleraine Township as we know it. In this episode, we're going to dive into the Mount Healthy Airport that once operated on the same plot of land where Northgate Mall stands today. To give us some insight, I'm joined by Cliff Wartman with the Cincinnati Aviation Heritage Society. Thanks so much for being here, Cliff. Oh, glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got into studying airports in our area. Well, uh, strange as it may seem, I retired from the railroad and after I retired from the railroad, uh, after 31 years, I had uh, spare time on my hand and uh, moved back from Indiana to Kentucky and uh, just happened across a group of fellows that called themselves the Cincinnati Aviation Heritage Society who had a museum in Lunkin Airport. Well, they discovered that I loved genealogy, so they made me their research director. So. From there, I learned as much as I could about all the airports in, in this area, and there are a lot more airports than people remember, unless they're my age. <laughs> and one of the ones people might remember in our area is the Mount Healthy Airport, even though we're in Coring Township now. That, that's correct. Uh, I, I talk about the Mount Healthy Airport, and, and people say, well, where is the Mount Healthy Airport? I says, well, at the intersection of Springdale and Coleraine. Well, isn't that... Coleraine Township? I said yes, but it is the Mount Healthy Airport, and it was from the time they assigned a name to it. So how popular was this airport? Uh, It was quite busy. Uh, I'll explain some of the stuff they had to do to it, but uh, it was uh, quite busy in in the days that it existed. It had its problems like other airports, and uh, a couple of them were unique and sort of uh, interesting. Well, sort of at the end, uh, but it was in existence with the the same amount of time as some of the other airports that aren't here anymore. They they seem to blossom. The interesting thing that people probably have never, only somebody like me would think about it, would be the two bicycle mechanics from Dayton, Ohio, who turned a glider into a uh, motorized airplane with one motor and two propellers, first flew in 1903. And we're talking about an airport that opened about 18 or 19 years later. And actually, think about 1903. They just flew 100 feet or so. In, in 1947, we ex- exceeded the speed of sound in an airplane. Wow. Now, cars didn't progress that quick, but airplanes did. So, uh, so that's why air, I guess, is interesting to a lot of people. It is. So the Mount Healthy Airport, you said, was created in the early 1900s. So about what time? Uh, That is correct. It would be, uh, they first started talking about it in 1920. And it started uh, a discussion in, actually in Mount Healthy, by people who wanted Mount Healthy to enlarge. And their discussion evolved around well, if Mount Healthy is going to enlarge, it has to enlarge to the west, which is Coleraine Township. And they, the reason they wanted it, an air, airport was they saw how unique airports were this day with little ones. They saw that there was uh, 
one airport in Blue Ash, which wasn't called Blue Ash then, it was called Girard, which later became Watson, which later became Blue Ash, which later the city of Cincinnati closed. And there was one at Lunkin Airport, but it wasn't Lunkin Airport. A, a guy with a unique name of Dixie Davis had a single runway there at the north end of uh, Lunkin Airport along Columbia uh, Road, which is now Beachmont Levee. And he, he started his airport around 1920. So these people saw that happening. And, and the other unique thing that they thought they could develop if they had at least an airport was airmail. Uh, a lot of people probably don't realize that years ago in the late 40s and the 50s, you bought an airmail stamp and you got delivery by that mail, not by the train or trucks like other mail, but actually by uh, airmail. There, there was airmail service uh, regularly between Cincinnati and uh, the East Coast. So you bought an airmail stamp and that guaranteed it was going to go by airmail. That's pretty neat. I never knew about that. So how many how many planes would you say went in and out of this airport? Was, was it just a few? Was it only airmail? Were there any passenger planes? They, they actually had a uh, airmail route here, but no passenger planes. Uh, Lunkin got the unique uh, experience of being the passenger route at uh, Cincinnati. Lunkin Airport opened in 1926 and uh, they immediately started with uh, passenger service, but because uh, of the Cincinnati Airport, which is, of course, in Kentucky, that opened in 1947, so Lunkin stopped commercial operations in 1947. Oh, wow. All the, all the air, airliners moved there to uh, Greater Cincinnati Airport because Lunkin either was flooded or fogged. That's uh, another reason why they wanted to put an airport at Mount Healthy. We're high enough that uh, you haven't seen too many floods out here in Coleraine Township. Oh, no. <laughs> and you do have fog, but not as much as Lunkin. So that's the other reason they wanted to put an airport here in, uh, in uh, Coleraine Township. Mm -hmm. And uh, they started a, uh, a group. And a group of men, maybe some of the people can recognize the names, uh, the fellows that started out looking for the airport here and joined the group was an Al, Al Highside who owned three tailor shops in Mount Healthy. And he was the president of the group, Let's Find an Airport in Coleraine Township. And he owned 51% of the, of the airport. Clyde Yerkes was an official at the savings bank in Mount Healthy. So they were looking for big rollers to start this airport. Uh, Ed, Ed uh, Matry was an investor. Ed Honert was a contractor. Now, if you're going to build an airport, you might better have a contractor on board. That definitely so, helps. Uh, his, his equipment was actually used to build the airport in Mount Healthy. Al Huber was a real estate investor. So he was there to try to make sure they got the best deal on the airport. And uh, Neil Sudback was a manufacturer and businessman and Bert Hughes was also a contractor. So those are actually the people that started looking around, where can we put this airport in Coleraine Township? And if we find someplace suitable, we're the ones that are gonna do it. 
That's neat. So the airport was actually started by community leaders and businessmen rather than something commissioned by the government. Yeah, unlike uh, uh, Greater Cincinnati Airport, which was actually the four runways were built by the government for uh, practice landing of uh, warplanes uh, during, during the Second World War. And the reason it was in Kentucky is they wanted to put it in Ohio, but when they talked to the city council at Cincinnati, they threw them out. They said, we've already got two airports. We've got an airport at Blue Ash, and we have an airport at Lunkin, so we don't need your airport. Oh, gosh. So after a whole bunch of other work, which is another hour talk, there was an airport built in Boone County. I wonder if city of Cincinnati ever regretted that decision. No, I doubt it, because uh, after the airport was built, they went to the city of Cincinnati to work out a contract with them for the airport, and they weren't interested again. But... Y'all didn't have this trouble here in uh, Mount Healthy. The group started looking for land, and it just happened to be that where your Northgate Mall is today is where they discovered a lot of acreage that was farmland right at the intersection of Springdale and Coleraine Avenue. They, they, They looked at the land. They decided that that was the best land that they could find in this area in uh uh, between Mr. Holscheider and the uh, real estate man, they went and contacted uh, a fellow by the name of Mr. Bosserman, who owned the farm. And they looked at it. The only thing that they would have to do, basically, to put a grass landing field in was fill in a ditch that ran along uh, Springdale and leveled it off a little bit, and they had an airport. Uh, Mr. Bosserman actually lived on Springdale Road, and his address was 3672 in a big house. Back when this research was done back in 1998, it was actually Villa's Real Estate Company. Yeah. But that's where uh, the airport started on the Bosserman farm. I'm glad that they were able to find that stretch of land, and that's probably one of the more appealing things is that they didn't need to do too much to it in order to make it a landing strip. No, to open it up, they had just leveled it off, uh, did some grading, and uh, just used it as a grass runway. Uh, It was never paved, and that presented a few problems because during the summer, if it didn't rain much, there was no problem. But if it rained a lot, and there were, it was a busy airport, so there was a lot of landings and takeoffs. So if it got muddy, then you had ruts in the grass thing, so, uh, and, and the grass died, so you had just dirt. So they developed a, a way to keep it level, much as which uh, we used to do on the old uh, knothole baseball fields, pull around a couple big two-by-fours with a piece of uh, chain-link fence dragging behind it and they would hook it up to an old whippet automobile strangely enough my mom owned a whippet automobile and she said if it didn't run you whip it so they would pull that up and down the the runway to level it out after it had been uh, ruined by the mud and the planes landing to get it level again so the planes could land so uh, they they kept it in operation even though it was a grass field in that way and the, the runway started at the corner of uh, Springdale and Coleraine, and they ran uh, southwest for approximately 2,000 feet, but it was only 50 feet wide, which gave them a little problem if somebody wanted to come in with a larger airplane. So basically, most of the planes that were here were just uh, individuals 
uh, airplanes, which was evidently the thing to buy back then. You know, I'll buy myself an airplane. What other kind of challenges mm-hmm. was the Mount Healthy Airport faced with? You said the runway could get muddy. Um, the, it wasn't very wide, so you could only fly in certain types of planes. Were there any other kind of challenges that they saw? Yeah, there was another challenge. Of, of course, there was electricity in the area, and to have electricity, you had to have poles and wires. Well, the poles and wires at the corner of uh, Springdale and Rain were too high. So they lowered them as low as they could uh, without uh, causing other problems. People could touch them so the airplanes could land, be low enough at the end of the runway to have a safe landing so they didn't use the entire runway. So that was one other challenge, which wasn't a big deal. The uh, since they gas and electric and, uh, went along with them and lowered the electric wires. Uh, what else can you tell us about the airport or about the area during that time? Well, it operated under the direction of the original group until 1929. And at that time, uh, they had a problem. There, were, there was a real good pilot by the uh, name of Starmy Wheeler. Now, if you want to learn how to fly an airplane, you want to see a guy by the name of Starmy Wheeler. Well, he was in a, an American Eagle airplane with a, a student pilot. And not everybody flew back then, and there probably wasn't an instruction book on how to fly the airplane. So Starmy's in the back of an open cockpit airplane that he could reach up and grab a hold of the student pilot. And the student pilot was heading in for a landing and froze. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know whether to go left or to go right, up or down. And Starmy wanted to get a hold of the controls by reaching over. He could reach over in the open cockpit, but the pilot wasn't, he, he was reacting as a fellow who, who froze. He was just going bananas. Oh, so Starmy grabbed a hold of the uh, fire extinguisher that he had with him and hit the student pilot over the head with the fire extinguisher. Oh, no. The result of which they did crash and they were both killed. And that put a little cloud over the operation of the airport. People started thinking, well, if he landed in an open field, maybe he, he could crash into our house. So they had a problem. So I guess that's why the first group left. They didn't want to get involved in a lawsuit. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah the, to, uh, to locate where the airplane crashed, uh, it's now the Northbrook subdivision. Oh. It, it's, it's within 100 feet of where Laura Linda Drive crosses over Niagara. Oh, so wow. that pinpoints, you know, if you live around there, you, you can say there was an airplane crash here. Oh, man. <laughs> so that's where he actually crashed. Al Hoshad, who was the president, decided to pay all the bills, liquid any assets that they had, and buy off the lease. For all intents and purposes, that was the end of the airport in 1929. So between 27, 28, and 29, the te- it was listed in the telephone directory. And if you wanted to call them back then, it was JA7250 to get a hold of an airport, to get a pilot, or to, get, to fly around. So during its uh, 28 years of operation on and off, its last operation was in 1955. The airport was operated under different groups of people, various names and operators. And uh, the fellow that helped me on this uh, research said the names that he, he, he discovered other than Mount Healthy Airport 
was Al Hochschild Field, George South, Carl Pop Mullenberg, and Jerry Greenfield. Probably was a whole bunch of other people that helped to operate the airport, but those are the only ones that we could find back in the records. Do you know why the airport closed? Because you said there was the accident. Yeah, uh, basically most of the other ones, with the exceptions of Blue Ash and Lunkin, closed. Dixie Davis closed him after he found out he couldn't compete with Lunkin Airport. There was another airport in Bridgetown called Frank Airport. That's a funny name for an airport. But the the fellow that operated it, his last name was Frank, and it was on Bridgetown Road. So it closed about the same time. And it was uh, in the same situation as uh, Mount Healthy Airport, but they had some famous people that flew out of there enough that uh, while Al Shottlecotty was still the big-time broadcaster for WCPO, on the 40th anniversary of them closing, he interviewed some of the fellows that actually flew out of uh, Frank Airport in uh, Bridgetown, Mac area. Oh, my gosh. So... They had their problem. And the other interesting thing, which is happened just about the time that the airport was going to close, was back then it wasn't the Federal Aviation Commission. It was the Civilian Aer- Aeronautical Administration, the CAA, and they would come and uh, inspect the operations of the airport and also inspect the airplanes that were there. A lot of airplanes that were here were probably home-built, that's a little terrifying. You know, bought at a flea market or something and, and didn't have registered. So there were a lot of airplanes at the airport that were not registered. Well, they had somehow they had worked out a link to, to the Civil Aviation Society and would know when they were going to come to do an inspection. Oh. So people would see all these airplanes taking off from Mount Healthy Airport and not returning because they were hiding someplace in Kentucky or further up in Ohio till the feds left, then they'd fly back into Mount Healthy Airport. Oh my gosh. So it was it was described by some as a rogue airport. Because they, they didn't care who used the airport as long as they paid the fees. And that was just about when they went out of business. And I was surprised that it was in operation until 1955 because I remember driving by here about that time. So that's uh, sort of, uh, in a Regent Digest version, the the life and history, which was unique, interesting, and uh, the people of Coleraine Township can be proud of uh, their airport that is no longer here. I would think they'd put some sort of uh, little monument here to, so people, like a memorial here, here at the or mall. a plaque or yeah, something. Yeah, a little so plaque or see. something to say the location of the famous Mount Healthy Airport. And the question you asked me earlier was, why, why does the airport in Coleraine Township have the name Mount Healthy Airport? Right. Well, it's the same question that people ask me. I'm the chaplain over at uh, CVG. Ask all the time, number one, why, why is the Cincinnati Airport in Kentucky and with a big smile, I explained to them why. And they say, what does CVG mean? Cincinnati, the airport likes to say it means Cincinnati very good. But it actually is the abbreviation for Covington. Mm-hmm. The Civil Aviation Society would only name the airports after the closest post office. 
So the closest post office to the Boone County Airport was Covington. So it got the, the moniker CVG, and Mount Healthy's closest big post office was where the guys lived that started the airport, Mount Healthy. Mm-hmm. So as far as they were concerned, it was a Mount Healthy airport no matter where it was because the closest post that's, office was right in uh, Mount Healthy. Oh so, my gosh. so that's why it was the Mount Healthy Airport in Coleraine Township. How funny. There was actually another airport just uh, down south on Coleraine uh, Avenue on the east side of Coleraine Avenue. Really? Owned by the Clippard family who have a big manufacturing plant here that make little tiny micro switches. And they built a runway, much like Mount Healthy's, a grass runway, because they not only like to make little micro switches, they like to fly airplanes. So they they built this airport for their own use. And I guess if you were a friend, you could use it also. But it was down south of here. And I believe the location is Clipper Park now. I believe that's what Clipper Park is, I believe, after they closed it. And they closed it basically for the same reason that y'all had trouble here. There was an accident. And since it was the Clippard Airport, the only people that could have had an accident were the Clippers. And they were flying in one day, and they had a little trouble, and the engine quit. So they didn't... This this is pilot talk. They didn't crash. They just landed early. Oh gosh! <laughs> but they walked away from the flights, so, up from the landing. So any landing that you walk away from is a good landing. So after that, they did uh, close their own private airport. That but that was another airport that was here, just down the road on uh, Coleraine Avenue. Oh my goodness! It sounds like. People people flew airplanes and owned airplanes the way they own boats nowadays. Yeah, it was unique at the time, and it was a way to get someplace and to, to show off. Hey, Grandpa was going to take me flying in his airplane today, and I joke about Lunkin Airport and said, you know, most people, if uh, somebody likes automobiles, they buy them a car. They don't buy them a factory. Right. Well, I, I joke, I think Mr. Lunkin's, son liked airplanes so instead of buying him an airplane he bought 200 acres of land in turkey bottoms and built his son an airport oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. it's a heck of a gift yes <laughs> but they had uh the lunkenheimer company was uh, well known that was the original name when they came from germany lunkenheimer and like many germans like our family uh, they changed their name and, and during world war ii so they got rid of the Heimer and just became Lunkins. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. So they, they owned the Lunkenheimer Valve Company, and one of the valves that they made was uh, in the uh, Spirit of St. Louis when it flew in the uh, nonstop. Wow. And uh, a lot of the train whistles, steam train whistles, and most of the steamboats on the Ohio River had a Lunkenheimer steam whistle, which you can buy on eBay now for thousands of dollars. <laughs> Uh, the other thing, we keep talking about the runway, but uh, the airport was more than just a runway. Uh, you can do a search on the Internet and find a picture of it. It had uh, two uh, hangers, a T-hanger. They call them a T-hanger because it looks like a T. It's built 
for it's just narrow where the body of the plane goes in, but then it extends out for the wings. So if you look at it from the air, it looks like a T. Mm -hmm. Then they had a regular full hangar. They had a building that contained the office and also a restaurant. So Lunkin Airport wasn't the only re uh, airport around here who had a restaurant. I haven't been able to find out anything about the name if somebody listens to this and uh, Want to know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let, let us know. Yeah, if the let Helen Tracy good. know, and uh, I'll write that down and make a note of it. But yeah, it did have a restaurant, and if you look at the the picture that you can find on the internet, there's a lot of planes on the ground. It's a nice looking building where the restaurant was. You can see both Colerain Avenue and Springdale, so you can see it was actually right at the corner, just about where uh, Cheddar's is. To, today oh, yeah. so I'll, I'll probably leave here and have a bite to eat at Shedders but the, if, if you know where Cheddars is you know where the airport mm -hmm. uh, that was about the location of the uh, original restaurant for the airport so I'm guessing they didn't have air traffic control no so they, how did people manage the planes going in and out there was no tower there was no radio operator it was watch out for everything else and the way that they knew the weather was they had what they called a wind sock, which was basically looked like a big sock with the toe cut off so that the wind would blow through this wind sock, which was attached to a tall pole. And, and if they flew over the airport, they could see, number one, which way the sock was pointing, which told them which way the wind was blowing. And if the sock was standing right out and shaking, they know the wind was pretty strong and they should be careful landing. So that was the only uh, controls that they had was a windsock. No, no radios, no tower, uh, nobody to say follow this airplane. If you saw another airplane in the area, you just were, were careful. And uh, I'm surprised there weren't more air-to-air -air crashes. I wonder how, how much they would have cost to learn how to fly. Because if it seems like it was so uh, wild west and gung-ho out here, I can't imagine it was very, very much. Well, some of the airplanes that the people were flying there were probably actually made at Lunkin Airport by the Aronka company. The, their, their original uh, flying bathtub is what people named their airplane because it looked like a upside down bathtub were made uh, in, in Lunkin Airport on uh, Wilmer Avenue until the flood of 1937 when they moved to uh, Hamilton, Ohio. Oh, man. But uh, inside of uh, the Lunkin Terminal is one of the uh, Aronka airplanes hanging from the ceiling that was made there. And uh, from, from looking at the picture, I, I would say uh, some of them might have been there. There's actually a couple uh, twin-engine airplanes on the picture, so there were some fairly good-sized airplanes that flew in and out of there. But the only crash of record is the student pilot. Uh, you mentioned for the Bridgetown one at Frank Airport that there were some celebrities who flew in and out of there. Do you know if any celebrities or people of note flew out of the Mount Healthy Airport or into that? Some of the people that worked there were actually called into duty during World War II to train some of the uh, enlistees in the, Air, in the Army Air Force. Wow. So there must have been some good pilots there. That's the interesting thing that I found about that airport was uh, some of the people were, their arms were sort of twisted to be instructors for the uh, Army Air Force. And you said this was during World War II? During World War II. 
I can't imagine all of a sudden you're you're in your upside down bathtub flying yep. and having a good time. And so this airport also was open during World War II since it didn't close till 55 and opened in the 29. So Cincinnati actually had a uh, women's air force battalion located in Cincinnati and their job was to transport airplanes, bombers and that around the United States so that you didn't, weren't using uh, fighter pilots and that to just to jockey airplanes around. So you had all these ladies flying these big airplanes around and their office was in uh, downtown Cincinnati and they flew airplanes out of a couple hangars in Lunkin Airport during World War II. Oh, that's awesome. Kind of our own Rosie the Riveter story. Yeah, except they were flying airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking to Cliff Wortman. Um, Cliff, if people have any more aviation questions, how can they reach you? How can they get in touch? Uh, I have an email address, which is, uh, strangely enough, Air Chaplain, just like it sounds, A-I-R-C-H-A-P-L-A-N, at fuse.net. So uh, just drop me a question, and uh, if I don't know the answer, I'll, I know where to look it up so I can help you there. That sounds great. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hey Cole Rain. New episodes will be available each month, so make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. And hey, we're social. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also learn more about what's going on in our community by visiting our website, colerain.org. On behalf of us here in the Colerain Township Administration, I'm Helen, and thanks for listening to Hey Colerain.